Welcome to the BC Perspective Podcast. We are on episode 341. This is being recorded on March 18th, 2015. I'm your host, Josh Walrath. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. And I'm Alan Malentano. Well, now that we've got that out of the way, you can uh, get a hold of us in the usual type of ways. Uh, podcast at pcper.com. Uh, you can watch these live as well as replays at uh, pcper.com slash podcast. You can follow Ryan and Twitter at twitter.com slash Ryan Shroud or twitter.com slash pcper. If you want to some reason listen to me whine about things, it's twitter.com slash Josh D. Walrath. I believe both Alan and Jeremy have Twitter accounts. They say not very many interesting things ever. This Unless it's a, res- it's a response to somebody else. Usually. We're making fun of Ven. Yeah, Ven is easy to make fun of. He, he makes a rather large target. I, I don't know physically, but his, his predilectance, uh, predilection to operating systems that are extremely hard to operate and get games to run on. I guess everybody likes a challenge. You've never met my wife, so there you have it. But, uh, you know, this this week has been a little busy because there's this thing called GTC going on. And uh, Ryan is over there now with uh, Ken. He dragged him along. I think he put him in a kennel and put him underneath the uh, the passenger side, uh, you know, in, in, in the airplane. And, uh, he, you know, he had a little bowl and some Depends on, so he was fine. Uh, but that's the cheap way to get Ken out to GCC as well. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we've had a couple of reviews. Not a huge amount, but enough to keep people occupied. And the first one, uh, we're going to throw this one at uh, our good friend Alan because he's a storage guy. The Patriot Memory Supersonic Rage 2 and Phoenix 256-gig USB 3.0 flash drive mini roundup. Yeah, so uh, Patriot sent us a couple drives. And I figured we need to start getting into this, you know, USB testing again, USB device testing, because, you know, it's pretty easy to test them. Uh, There's not a whole lot of, you know, can't run really the whole suite of everything on them, nor is it really necessary. You know, people aren't playing games off of their little external USB thumb drive. Um, At least I hope not. That'd be kind of painful. But, you know, for the most part, you're just putting files on them, taking files off of them. So uh, that's the kind of test we do. And uh, we throw an addo in there for good measure just to give people a feel for how the small file performance would translate but whenever we do the file transfer tests, we're just doing like, we're just looking at what the maximum you get for a large file. And, you know, for large files, Windows pretty much just maxes out at whatever that speed that drive's going to handle and just kind of hangs out there the whole time anyway. Um, so, uh, Supersonic Rage 2 and uh, the Phoenix. Now, let me put this on the screen. And this is going to kind of confuse you guys. Like, So here's one, which looks similar to the Samsung T1. You guys remember that one, right? Um, so it's like a little thin, kind of like credit card size, but it has has some thickness to it. It's probably about as thick as maybe a stack of four or five credit cards. Really small USB 3 uh, slim connector on the side of it, and a little short cable that it comes with. And we're also looking at the Supersonic Rage 2, which is your typical very small thumb drive. Now, uh, I was a little bit confused by this, because uh, if you look at this drive here, this is bigger. Phoenix is a larger drive. And uh, the read speed is rated at 260. The write speed is rated at 170. Then you go down to the Rage 2, and the read speed is rated at 400. 
and the right speed at 300, even though the drive is a fraction of the size of uh, the Phoenix. So, so do you open the uh, big one up and, and just see that it's a bunch of washers and an exceptionally cheap USB drive? So, no, no. And it wasn't a fake either. It wasn't one of those. Uh, it is a very uh, low, low-cost, Fizon-controlled SSD with Toshiba RAM on the inside of it. Uh, we didn't crack open the Rage 2 because, well, you know, that's one of those that's plastic welded shut, and I didn't want to destroy the thing trying to get it open. Um, but the key here is that although the fi- although the um, the Phoenix is less of a performer than the Rage 2, you're kind of paying extra money for higher performance and a smaller capacity. So if I just skip to the file transfer results here, see the the Rage 2 does it does okay. Uh, like compared to the T1, but it's actually doing very well given its size, right? Because it's just a very small device. The T1 is kind of like a kind of a bigger device. You can't just put it on a keychain, for example. Um, the Phoenix is again slower, even than the Rage 2, and a lot more, a lot slower than the T1. Um, so that's just kind of how they fall. Uh, the big differentiator here being price, as I was mentioning earlier, and here's where it is a real zinger because so a Samsung T1 is like 60 cents a gig, the Rage 2 runs like 80 cents a gig, again, because you're paying for high performance, low, or very small form factor. The Phoenix is 38 cents a gig, which I think is the cheapest external USB 3 drive that we've seen ever, actually. Um, That's what they were going for. They were like, what is the cheapest possible external USB device that that we can sell? And that seems to be it, because that's on par with internal drives, and internal drives, yeah, they're going to perform better, but they, they are not meant to be portable drives, right? You'd have to go buy another enclosure, put it in an enclosure, that kind of thing. Um, and this one is just meant to be, you know, an external through and through. Now, I will say uh, I did some price checking on the Phoenix around the time when we published this, and if you want the higher capacities, uh, that cost per gig kind of just disappears, turns into like 75 cents a gig, which in my opinion doesn't really make it very cost effective at that point. Like you could, um, you know, one terabyte for, for 75 cents a gig, that's a $750 drive. Uh, you can get like a much more powerful desktop class SSD and buy a pretty good uh, external enclosure to put it in. And the device would be a little bulkier than the Phoenix, don't get me wrong, but it would also outperform it, and you'd have a full-blown 2.5-inch SSD that you could do whatever you want with at some later date, too. Yeah, like that Inatech that you looked at. Yeah, that that enclosure would be perfect for it, right? You stick it in the Inatech enclosure, doesn't add much bulk to it. The Phoenix is still going to be much slimmer and Mm. much smaller device. Um, But again, it's like how important... You already have a thing that you have to connect to a dongle and plug in. So, you know, you're already halfway there. You might as well just, you know, if you're spending that much to get, like, a terabyte model of that, you might as well just, honestly, you might as well just get the T1 because the T1 runs cheaper than it in a one terabyte model. So, yeah, that's that's it for that one. Uh, you know, real simple. We're going to crank out a whole bunch of these pieces, uh, pieces like this because I kind of have a backlog from CES of uh, stacked-up USB things and uh, SD cards and other kind of portable device, uh, portable storage devices we need to rip through. But, yeah, I'd, I'd give you a hard time about that, but um, I, I've got no legs to stand upon. 
No, you're stacked too. A little, little stacked. Not as bad as it used to be, but a little stacked. Uh, moving along, Lee and Lee, the PCQ33 Mini ITX Enclosure Review. Jeremy, what have you seen about this monstrosity? I, I kind of like this thing. It's, it's unique, the way that it opens. So you first look at it, it looks like your old, normal, aluminum, small form factor. Uh, until you see how it opens. And it open, it completely hinges, completely open. You mount the motherboard above the PSU on the little uh, stand that you can see there. And there's a fan directly from where you're mounting that to. But it's got to be the easiest small form factor case to work in that I've ever seen. I, just being able to get at everything that easily uh, is awesome. I mean... You're going to have to limit what you're putting in this. Uh, the biggest VGA card it's going to handle is 220mm. Uh, it will do a full-size 200mm PSU, though, um, which is bigger than you sometimes see in the other ones. It's just this tiny little thing. All of the sides clip off uh, completely easily, so it's not a problem to open and close it. Uh, once Sebastian had fully put it together, uh, the header pins still were able to reach when he opened it up completely. So you're not clicking them off every single time. But uh, he tried to squeeze in, oh, what card was it? Lightning? R7, yeah, 260X. Yeah, 260X. So that gives you an idea just how small it is. It's, it's going to be hard to build a super high power system in it. But then again, not really what this is for, I wouldn't think. So at 95 bucks. I would say this is a really decent buy for anyone who's looking at building a small form factor PC and doesn't like gouging chunks out of their hands as they're trying to add components to it. Well, gouging chunks is a lot of fun, depending on the people you're hanging out with. Well, and sometimes you've got to sacrifice some blood to get the system to post that. And not only that, but 95 bucks would be cheap for such experience for some people. Mm, that's why it's cheap. You don't get that. You've got to pay extra for that. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, moving along. This is going quick. We're going to be done by like 8.35. Oh, right? you had to say that, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Do you guys want Mori on, by the way? He's uh, he's available if we want a Mori. <laughs> Ooh, Mori, I thought you were married. Do we want Do we want a Mori? He's, he's wearing tassels. Ooh. I really don't care. <laughs> I, I, I told if him he wants to come and today. suffer. 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 Suffer with us, Maury. Well, you can you can join him in, and I'll uh, I'll start talking about the next one. Uh, you know, the big announcement, of course, this week was the NVIDIA GTX Titan X. It's uh, one of the first consumer-level cards to support 12 gigs of memory on board. Now, the one part that really kind of amazed me about this entire release was the price. I was expecting a lot more money than what they actually asked for. So this card goes supposedly for $999. Johnny She would be so proud. He'd yell out $999. Thank you. Thank you. And so thank you. They said $999 at this thing, and all I could hear was your voice saying $999. $999! It just, it just replaced like the voiceover. It just, in my brain, just like flipped. And it was just Josh doing it's, that. Uh, it's bad, if that's yeah. what you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the card is actually pretty beefy. It's based on the G200M, or the, yeah, GM200. It's the big Maxwell. 
It's got 3,072 CUDA cores. Uh, I think, what, it's 24 SMMs. Each SMM has essentially four cores in there. So you're looking at a lot of processing power. This is just upwards of 6.14 teraflops. It's running at 1 gigahertz. Uh, it's got a 384-bit memory bus running, I believe, at 7 gigahertz. So you've got an astounding amount of uh, bandwidth coming to this this thing. Uh, it only requires a 6-pin and an 8-pin uh, power connection, and it is a 250-watt TDP part. Now, of course, you can increase the uh, the power range. I can't remember what is that setting called. Power, not power uh, limit. It's, yeah, it's some kind of it's. it's yeah, kind of but anyway, so you can go up to about 275 watts when you're overclocking and and using an enhanced boost, all of that stuff. Very efficient card. It's uh, fast. They tested it out on a variety of applications, and it is not as fast as the R9295X2, which of course is the dual R9290X chips. And one card, it's water cooled. It's 300 watts at minimum, and of course you're kind of seeing that up above that. But that's a, a dual chip card, and this is obviously the fastest single chip card with the GTX Titan X that we have seen to date. Um, it, it has all of the features of Maxwell, so it's got some color compression in there. Um, boy, uh, MFAA, FSAA, all the different... Uh, different bells and whistles that uh, NVIDIA is, is putting in this product. Um, trying to think what else really stuck out. But it, it, pretty much in every application, it was around 35% faster than the R9290X and anywhere from 25% to 30% faster than the GTX 980. Um, there's some people that are thinking that we will see a priced variant that will be in between 999 and the 550 of the GTX 980. They believe this is going to be a slightly cut down version, uh, like a 6 gig version of this uh, that will be called the 780Ti. Not 780, yeah. No, no, 980Ti. There's just too damn many numbers and product things. Jeremy, what do you think about this release? Well, you know, they've got a history of doing this now of throwing out a $1,000 graphics card. Um, the problem being, it's a $1,000 graphics card. So, you know, yay, new hardware. This is awesome. Love to see the new chip. But good Lord, I'm not being going to be able to afford this thing. So it's, also, it's, 12 gigs of memory seems a bit of an overkill, honestly. Yeah, well, they did kind of build it in for some other stuff that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, uh, in addition to gaming. But uh, so it's basically this is like one and a half of a 980, right? Like if you look at the number of cores, Almost exactly. And, yeah, it's it's pretty much just 50% more stuff than a single 980 on one GPU, right? So it's it's like that's this big you know economics thing or yeah, 192 thing, right? texture units, 96 ROP units, which you know, the ROP units are becoming a lot more important because we've got these 4K screens or surround screens with uh, 3 by 1080 p that when you start doing multi-sampling, <clears throat> you do require more ROPs to be able to color the pixels that are on your monitors. And uh, we haven't even gone into 
you know, higher uh, uh, hertz range and G-Sync and, and, and whatnot, but you're actually going to utilize those extra units rather than for a long time we stood at, uh, what, 16 ROPs and then 32 and, and just everybody thought, well, that's all that we need because we're more shader bound. Well, it turns out we're starting to have problems painting the pictures on the screen because we just don't have enough ROPs doing pixels per per clock. But go ahead, Alan. Yeah, so it's, I mean, the math you got to do is just like, all right, how much is a 980? How much is this? How much performance do you want on a single card for whatever your build may be? Like some people are just going to go, well, I'd rather have two 980s, right? Some people, I've heard a lot of people say, I'd rather have two 970s, but of course you run into the whole three and a half gig thing. And if that's going to affect you and what size monitor you're using and what kind of games you're going to run, maybe not today because today's games don't necessarily do it that much unless you really crank them all the way up to 11. Um, but, you know, future stuff that comes out, right? So that might make people lean towards 980s over 970s, and now you have this thing that's like one and a half of a 980 and the same form factor, you know, not really... I mean, it does draw more power, but it's still not oh, a lot not of power. Much. I mean, Only the thing is... Yeah I, yeah, I mean, Ryan was testing it at full tilt, and he the, the GPU testbed sits like 10 feet away from where I'm sitting in the office, and I, I was like, wow, is that going? Like, it's been going for a while, and I can't really even hear it from over here. So, and that was with the stock cooler. That wasn't even any of the, you know, crazy heat pipe, super pipe stuff attached to it. That was just yeah. Uh, and, and likely we will never see a version of that. Hit. That's true. Mm. Yeah, with the uh, the Titan X at least. Well, um, since it's Nvidia selling, why are they gonna fool around with it? Exactly. Well, one of the one of the interesting things that um, that nobody mentioned about the price was that. NVIDIA decided to actually release it at the $1,000 mark instead of the $1,500 mark, which they released. Uh, I think the original Titan and both the, um, the Titan Z were both 15 if I remember correctly. So it's still crazy. I mean, it's still Intel, you know, uh, super proc price, but it's less than it could have been. Yeah, I mean, you're paying you're paying roughly twice as much for a 50% gain. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and then um, you know, and and you know, the, the really the only card that compares with it on the AMD side is the what the um, 295x2, and supposedly that's a little bit faster in 4K, but it also chews up like almost twice as much wattage. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's basically a dual, dual dual GPU on a single card, and to run that. Uh, you have to water cool it. You cannot air cool the 295x2. I mean, it's like any of AMD's uh, dual dual uh, dual GPU cards. They it just it's way too hot. So that that was that was an interesting point to me. You know that 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 the that the uh, the Titan X is actually so power efficient, and they were able to keep the thermals so so well under control. You know, based on the uh, the 980 and 970 specs. Yeah, um, this is and then even overclocked. It's it still doesn't chew up a whole bunch of wattage. So, and this is uh, this is still a 28 nanometer part, and so I believe that the official die size of actual photolithography is about 600 millimeters squared. Now, Alan, you got out your uh, micrometer and you measured <laughs> the edges. It was what, 25 by 25? So it was what, 625, the actual physical 
silicon that was cut out. Yeah, yeah, the the package itself was like right at 25 by 25. It might have been like a tiny bit smaller, mm. but Nvidia gave Ryan specs, I think, like actual numbers, like which is rare. We don't usually get here's the actual, you know, x and y of the die. But um yeah, it's like, But yeah, it's even at still 600 millimeter square, that's that's approaching the the reticle limit of of getting good yields out of a product from TSMC. I think, you know, kind of the rule of thumb is 600 to 625, you can get away with it, but you got to be really careful with with uh, the processing of the platters, not the what platters, but the wafers. Uh, I mean, like IBM can get upwards of what 650 millimeter square type products, but you don't really ever see anything above that. I think I did a quick die calculator, and uh, it comes in between 80 and 89 dies on a 300 millimeter wafer. So that's a 12 inch wafer, and you and figure is, what? Oh, sorry, is that total dies or is that just good dies? Because oh, you that's, have that's die lost, quite a few yeah, dies lost. Yeah, that would be yield is okay. is dies lost. So you've got uh, 80, 89 actual physical wafers that can go on uh, physical dies that can go on a wafer, and that doesn't tell you what the yields are. They could be yielding 50 percent with uh, certain types of uh, you know being able to to recover uh, some dies from defects. So when you start doing the math, each one of these good dies for the Titan X is going to be really dang expensive because it's in between $10,000 and $15,000 per wafer to send that through. And you can do the math just as easily as I can and, you know, divide things by 89 and then figure out how many good chips. Now, say you get 50% or 45% that can be recovered and go to a Titan X. Well, obviously, they're, they're building up other cut-down versions that they fused off parts, and we'll probably see that as the 780Ti. So it's, the economics of this part is interesting just because it's so darn big. And it is going to be pretty fascinating in a couple of months when AMD comes out with their 390X, which will feature not only a, a pretty sizable uh, piece of silicon as the GPU, but that's sitting on a silicon interposer, and that connects to multiple... Um, memory chips on a 2.5D, uh, you know, um, memory substrate. I can't remember all the 3D memory crap. But, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what that sells for and what kind of thermals they have and uh, any, any clue as to not just the yield of the initial GPU but kind of the yield of the post-fabricated interposer memory GPU combination. Um, but that's something we're still a ways off, so we can finish talking about the GTX Titan X. So yeah, this is a, a card that I am pretty sure I will never touch one. I, I never touch the, the Titan or the Titan Black or the Titan Z. Was that the three grand one? That was the three yep. grand one, yeah. Yeah, I'm never going to see any of those things dark in my doorway. Uh, at least Alan is in the correct office where he can he can check some of these cards out. I am. I had to install and remove uh, the Titan X several times today in testing something. In testing. Mm -hmm. So, nine ninety nine 
Fastest single GPU card, 12 gigs of memory, which is insane, but I can understand why, especially as we talk about things coming up. Any last thoughts or words on this product? Well, we're going to be talking about it more in a few minutes. So, <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, we did not run this on Linux, so Vince Stone's out of luck. Hmm. We just don't have the the patience or the experience or something but anyway uh, yeah so now GTC news of course uh, NVIDIA is running this show over in uh, San Jose is that correct Santa Clara uh, one of those California one of those places. places yes but anyway it is a group of developers coming all together to talk about GP GPU computing under the Nvidia umbrella so the first thing they talked about were updates to their roadmap now the next generation of architecture is the Pascal architecture and this will be utilizing the 3d memory except the interesting thing is they showed a render of this and it's actually a 2.5 D setup so a true 3d memory setup is you've got the GPU and then you've got the stack memory on top of that and they use through silicon vias to communicate with the GPU uh, without having to have any wires or anything on the outside and it's it's a complex process to do that and not only that but here you've got a 150, 160, potentially 250 watt TDP GPU at the bottom and you're stacking layers of silicon on top of that. Now silicon is an okay heat transport agent but each of those memory dies is going to be producing heat of its own and not only that but memory is a little bit more sensitive to heat than other types of logic at least. Is that correct, yeah. Alan? Yeah. Yeah, but but yeah. man, can you transfer data quickly? Right? Yes, you can in, in uh, such a, yeah. a setup. Uh, so AMD is of course going with a 2.5D solution. So they've got a substrate, they got the GPU, and then they've got the memory stacked around there. And then I think this uh, uh, AMD one has like 4,000 uh, width memory bus, which makes it extremely fast. Uh, but it looks like Pascal is going to be utilizing that, at least according to the renders. Whether or not they actually get a true 3D solution out, we're going to have to see in 2016. So they're expecting about two times the overall performance per watt of Pascal over Maxwell, which is impressive uh, from the outside, considering what a big jump Maxwell was in terms of efficiency. But when we start kind of digging down and figuring out, Maxwell is still a 28 nanometer architecture. Pascal is going to be either 16 nanometer FinFET or 14 nanometer FinFET. Now that's going to be essentially two generations of process technology from where we're at now. So everything that they put into a 28 nanometer Maxwell, they can transfer a lot of that energy saving uh, technology and, and architecture to a much more efficient process. So I think that's going to be the biggest jump in terms of efficiency is just the process technology. They didn't go into who they're going to be uh, uh, fabricating this with. I mean, we've got Samsung with a working 14 nanometer process that they're actually shipping products with. Global Foundries is going to be having one probably around the summer that is identical to what Samsung and then TSMC is starting already 
some of the risk production of their 16 nanometer FinFET. But later this year, they will have another product called 16 nanometer FinFET Plus that might be a little bit more appropriate for the power and uh, thermals of a GPU rather than a lower powered uh, ASIC such as a cell phone, SOC. A um, couple other things, uh, the NVLink and mixed precision compute, they really talked about that. NVLink is a dedicated pathway to other GPUs so that you get uh, really low latency, high bandwidth and, and data sharing in between you know, upwards of 10, 20 beyond GPUs in, in a single system that will support that. And then it, it's kind of funny. They, they started talking about, you know, mixed precision compute. I don't know if you remember back in the day. I certainly do. Is when DX9 came out, full precision was FP32 rendering. But FP32 rendering was pretty expensive when it came to transistor counts. So ATI at the time decided to say, hey, let's do something kind of close to that. Let's have FP24. So we'll consider that, you know, a, a, and they worked with Microsoft and said, okay, that's, that's full precision for DirectX 9. Well, Mike, not Microsoft, but NVIDIA came out with FP32, but they did it in such a way that partial precision was used at FP16. So we had the huge debate at the time. Uh, you have lower quality at FP16 as compared to FP24, but with NVIDIA, when you run FP32, you take just this massive performance hit, and you just can't run stuff fast enough. And so they kind of dodged that one, but FP16 was considered partial precision now, then, and now they're calling FP16 mixed precision. So it's, it's kind of like they're softening up the language and hoping you don't remember back in the day where partial precision was a dirty word. Do any of you remember those big fights? Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. I did not fight about partial precision. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was, that was probably Scott Michaud. He seemed very up in arms about that whole thing. Yeah, well, we're looking back at the uh, the the Radeon 9700 Pro and the original GeForce FX 5800 Ultra. It's that 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 kind of time frame when we started hearing about partial precision, full precision, FP24, FP32. So it's kind of interesting that we're kind of going rack round and and going back to FP16 for some of these workloads. Now, talking to some of the developers for a lot of the work that they're doing, FP16 is perfectly fine. And so you've got these GPUs that can handle FP32 at full speed. They've got enough register space, all of that memory. These things are all there. And so when they use FP16, they, they just get a, a arithmetic doubling of performance. I mean, there's no other little, you know, it's not like, hey, FP16... You know, it runs 125% faster. No, it's 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 double the speed of FP32 in these current architectures. And so, guys who want to have uh, you know more more throughput and more computations run, they 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 look at their workload and say, hey, you know what? We don't need the precision of FP32. We don't need double precision FP64. We can just get away with a lot of this FP16 stuff. And a lot of the deep learning that they talked about, FP16 is is 
perfectly fine. So uh, they're they're bringing bringing back the old band, getting FP16 in and talking about it and, and utilizing it in a lot of these OpenCL and, and CUDA type applications where they see a definite increase in speed and performance without any kind of degradation in in data um, uh, functionality or 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 how precise it needs to be. Uh, did anybody else get any other things out of their their little uh, what two and a half hour? Jig? Well, there was some more. There was some more stuff. There was actually the next article, which is the dev box. Want to talk about that? Why don't we Why don't we go with the dev box, Alan? You wrote up a little thing about the uh, digit dev box, and even yeah. though digit digit doesn't make much sense when you talk about <laughs> what it means, yeah, it's it still kind of sounds good. They tried to make it an acronym for something, and it didn't like the letters don't match up with the with the words. It's just like they just said, "We'll just call it digits." To heck with it. Um, so yeah, there there is a thing called the Digits Dev Box, which is basically a Corsair Air 540 case, which is that kind of you know nice compact uh, dual sided Corsair case, right? Um, you can make really clean install there because all the hard drives and stuff go on the one side and the motherboard and GPUs and stuff goes on the other. Um, so pretty nice, neat-looking case and four Titan Nexus in case one wasn't enough. They put four in there. Now, this is something you cannot do with the AMD fire-breathing GPUs unless you actually connect an arc welder to the computer to make the power supply, I would, I would imagine, right? Um, so this system as it is, even as power efficient as, as a Titan X is, uh, still draws 1300 watts. Um, so this is about as much as you can squeeze out of just a single U.S. wall outlet type of device. And it's rated at 28 teraflops, which is nothing to sneeze at for these data scientist people trying to do this, um, you know, trying to do this research into these really large data sets of, you know, a lot, a lot of the stuff they were showing. There was, what was it? There was a whole bunch of demos they showed of, like, uh, uh, computers. Cats. Yeah, basically, they were trying to have computers recognize complex images and stuff like that, and they're trying to improve that technology, and there's data scientists trying to improve on that technology, and that all plays into, like, self-driving cars and other stuff just moving forward. Um, yeah, so... This is the bandwagon that NVIDIA is jumping on. And they're actually building these boxes in-house because they cost 10 grand a piece. And they're 15. Kind of, oh, yeah, sorry, 15. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're not going to be a high-volume thing. They're not trying to make this as you need one of these for your gaming, uh, obviously. But it's still a pretty cool box. It's still pretty cool. The fact that you could have quad SLI or yeah, well, it's not technically quad SLI for this because they're just using it for compute, but you know, you can have four of these in one box just running at the same time. And then uh, the other part of this thing is that there is also a software package, which the software package itself is called digits, right? That's where the digits comes from. And that's uh -huh. just that, in, that's just that environment that the scientists are supposed to use. Right, so and they're going to support that. They're going to support the box because obviously it's all coming straight from Nvidia. So, I mean, it's not bad. You know, box like that with that much compute power with support, right? Yeah, like, for for 
developers and researchers, that's that's a good deal. Yeah. I bet you it'll run R. It probably would run R. I'm definitely but, this is my recommendation for our next server upgrade for R. <laughs> yeah, the, if there's one bad thing about Titan, it's the double precision performance. Yeah. Uh, instead of uh, like some guys, I mean, uh, let's take for instance the uh, R9 280X. Double precision is at one fourth the amount of of single precision, and uh, some of the other ones are like one eighth. I think this is what one thirty second. Yes, one thirty second rate of double precision. So that's two hundred gigaflops, not the six point four teraflops, but two hundred gigaflops of double precision. Um, if you look and see how NVIDIA does double precision in some of their higher-end cards, uh, there it's actually a different GPU design that has these double precision units that, that can handle that. Uh, Titan X, it's got the minimum amount. I mean, you can do double precision work on it, but here you've got a $1,000 card. It's running 200 gigaflops. You can get an R9280X and get one teraflop of double precision. So really take a look at your workloads um, and see what you're going to be addressing most and what product is best for you. Because it might just be Fire Pro or one of the larger higher end quadros that, that supports the higher amount of double precision than, uh, than this particular unit does. I imagine Scott could wax longingly for single precision performance and, and what he's doing in terms of programming, but to other people who require double precision, well, they're going to have to take a real good look at what they're wanting and what they're doing and how much they're willing to pay. And you know what? Speaking of Quadro, Jeremy, what popped up in the strangest of places? A red rocket. A that's, red rocket popped up. That's, nope. that's terrible. Had to do it. I, I, I couldn't resist. So for some strange reason, um, an artist who I first encountered in Goat Simulator called Dead Mouse, um, apparently he's a real person as well, took a picture of two brand new M6000 Quadros. So we now know that they are definitely a thing that exists. They're going to be based on the same uh, architecture that we've been talking about all night, the GM200. They will probably have 12 gigs of uh, graphics memory in it. So it's it's going to be very similar to what we've been talking about, except, of course, this is a Quadro. So it's specifically done for content creation as opposed to researchers. It's the weirdest place I've ever seen a leak come from, I think, in recent memory, but uh, it's nice to know that these are coming up soon, and I'm sure that they'll be super cheap. What's with the stereo ports? I don't know, but Maury is is destroying our uh, our broadcast notes. <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> yes. Sorry about that. I'm trying to put my uh, pick in. I'm not. Doing, <laughs> he's not doing so good. His his single precision uh, of of mousing is uh, very poor. So on that aside, I don't know what those stereo ports are for. I'm yeah, not sure. It's one on each card. I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird place for a stereo port. Is it more for an industrial? You know how how 
some of those CAD CAM stuff with the, the 3D visualization, I think they require different plugs than these standard, you know, uh, uh, LCD flicker screens. So right. I wonder if that's it. Yeah. Hmm. Could be very well. Uh, anyway, moving along. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see what uh, the M6000 will actually be comprised of, whether it's new silicon or if it uses the same GM200 or a derivative. So uh, Intel released a new Broadwell processor for Xeon. Jeremy, did you read about this? Or yeah, these are... Alan? Go ahead, oh, Jeremy. Go ahead. These are like the new low-power uh, processors that we're going to be seeing from Intel very, very soon. Um, we've got full stats on a couple of the processors, but essentially what you're looking at is a system on a chip uh, based on the new 14 nanometer process, and the highest that they're going to hit is 45 watts of TDP. So significantly less hot than most of the previous Xeons have been. Uh, the two that we know, the D1540 and 1520, um, are just two dies, uh, as you might expect, with uh, a nice shared uh, L3 cache that uh, I'm not seeing there. It's hiding on me. Where is it? Hmm. I don't know what's hiding. Ah. It is. But regardless, it's definitely for memory-intensive purposes. These are, these are server processors, but server processors to go after any of the inroads that ARM processors have made, sitting at there, significantly lower than even the 45-watt, but still, as I say, significantly uh, less powerful than your original Xeons, and still going to be good enough to be able to run uh, a nice little blade server. So for small businesses, this will be a really nice way to set things up for web servers. This is, again, it's, it's going to be a nice little product from uh, Intel that's going to be significantly less expensive than we were used to with the Xeons, but still comes to get with all of the extra bonuses like it supports ECC, uh, and they've fixed the uh, TSX instructions. That errata is gone from this particular version, so again, it's going to be attractive for professional use. And and it only 45 watts is going to cut uh, data center costs significantly just uh, from um, cooling and heat output and power use. I mean, that's pretty amazing for uh, for a server, a blade server based. CPU. Yeah, and it was uh, it was twelve mega cache. I found it. That's a lot. lot. Yeah. When are those supposed to be out again, Jeremy? Uh, very soon, like within this quarter, we're expecting to see them. Oh, very nice. Yeah. It's going to be strange to see the change going from these big power hungry to blades that are not nearly as power hungry. But you'll put so many blades in, you're just eating them the same amount of power. Probably, yeah. Yeah. So, all right, there's a report, Azrock. Well, Mini ITX is pretty small, isn't it? The answer would be yes. Mini ITX yes. is very small. Now, Azrock is. Yeah, it's going to reveal the mini ITX Haswell E motherboard at Seabed. Maury, take it away. <laughs> Great. You're the motherboard guy. Yeah, um, this is going to be a very odd system. Uh, yeah, I don't know much about this board, though. 
unfortunately. Um, I mean, it, you know, a, a, a micro or mini ITX, micro ITX, whatever. Um, it's you know, it's gonna it's a very small form factor. It'll be you know, it'll, it's it's gonna be optimized for you know a um, desktop system. It's got looks like it has two NICs on it. It's got your wireless, which is probably 802.11ac. Um, it's yep. only got two memory slots, so so it's they're only going to a dual channel memory on it, probably because of the size of the board. Um, that's going to significant. That's gonna that's gonna um, you know um, affect how how uh, how how much you can do with the system. I mean, you're not gonna be able to do your uh, you know your your very intensive photo editing and rendering type stuff with this with this box probably. Uh, but for gaming and stuff, you know, it, it, it could be a it could be a pretty good pretty good deal. Now the the odd thing too with the dual channel uh, DDR4 is that most DDR4 kits are being sold in four DIM packs. So I don't know what's gonna happen with that. I don't you know I don't know if you'll be able to buy dual dual dual, uh, dual channel packs or not. You'll just have to buy two of these systems and build two of them. Yeah. Um, and AS Rock, you know, the, the one the one caveat with the AS Rock system is that they're known to have quality issues. Sometimes you get really good boards, but sometimes you don't. So, but look at that cooler that comes with it. Yeah, that's a great. I'm cooler. thinking that's going to be loud. Yeah, just a little bit. It's not nearly <laughs> big enough for Mori. No, no, no. no. If I had not. one of those, it'd be water cooled. I wouldn't even mess with a cheap air cooler. Yeah, Mori likes, Mori likes a little bit of motherboard with his cooler. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a niche product, to say the least. Uh, going along, MSI announces new AMD and Intel motherboards with USB 3.1. So not only on the Intel side do you have the X99 uh, re refreshes and the, uh, what, the X. 97 boards, is that correct? X99, Z97. Yep. Z97. Z97. Uh, I was looking back at the motherboard boxes and see what. Anyway, uh, they've announced two new AMD ones. Uh, a 990FXA gaming board, which is a brand new design. that will have USB 3.1 as well as a new uh, 970-based uh, unit that will have, again, 3.1. I, I found this really odd that someone had actually come out with a brand new 990FX part because if you remember, back in the day, 990FX was based off of, in fact, it was the same chip as the 890FX, and that was released in 2010. So we've got a five-year-old chipset that is still selling today, and nobody really bats an eye. It just kind of tells you how slow CPU technology has gone since, like, 2006 with the Core 2 Duo and then a couple of years later with the quads coming out and where we've gone from there to here. Certainly we've we've gotten better performance and power efficiency, but it just hasn't been the jumps that we've experienced for 20 years before that. So it's kind of fun to see that uh, new AMD parts are coming out as well as a uh, new rash of Intel motherboards with the USB 3.1, but it'll be even more interesting to see how well they perform since they are PCI Express 2.0 parts. Hmm. We'll see how many lanes that they end up using for those USB 
controllers. I think I think those are four lanes on that as media controller. Pretty sure. Okay. The, yeah, that'll yeah. handle it. Yeah, that, that's that's the one thing with the three dot three dot one. Uh, USB 3.1, I mean, is that it is not integrated into the chipset, so it will live on a PCI, a PCIe bus, and um, it will be uh, will be uh, accountable to to whatever switching mechanism they have. A lot of times on those motherboards, you'll actually have the uh, some of the USB ports, some of the USB 3 ports. And uh, like the PCIe X1 and the M.2 SATA port all tied together, sharing bandwidth. Uh, I would expect the same type of setup with the three uh, with the USB 3.1 boards. I have not seen any USB 3.1 boards on my test bench, so I'm just talking based on what I've seen with the X99 and Z97 boards. But um, that I w- I would not be very surprised if if they did share PCI bandwidth. And what that could mean is that the ports could be totally disabled if you decide to use M.2 or one of the shared ports, or they could share bandwidth, and that could negatively affect the overall bandwidth and speed you're going to see out of the USB 3.1 uh, devices you attach. Now, USB 3.1 devices themselves are fast, and Alan can talk much more to that because he's had a lot of hands-on experience with those uh, in in the uh, office. So, yeah, we do it. We we have a uh, we have two pieces up actually. Uh, one was MSI, and the other one was Asus. Um, use of that same controller. It's actually PCIe 2.0 by two. I was mistaken earlier um but yeah i mean it's it's pretty quick it's doesn't seem as quick as it should be right it's almost like a 50 percent gain over uh you know the five gigabit variant um when it's actually supposed to be like a little bit more than double by the by the actual numbers um because they changed the encoding and made it much more efficient and doubled the actual like, um, they they didn't use the encoding change to cheat and in a way and get them to two x the bandwidth. They doubled the bandwidth and then on top of that, uh, you know, made the encoding more efficient so that you're not throwing away twenty percent of the bits anymore. You're only throwing away like two percent of the bits um, for parity data and, and such, just to get the make sure the data makes it to the other end properly. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it, it's good. I just kind of wish that everybody wasn't jumping on the bandwagon with this one. Like I was kind of hoping that it would kind of linger a little bit, and there be some other, you know, chips that come out for USB 3.1. But it seems like this one came out, and just like everybody is just like, you know, flocking towards it. Well, it's like the original NEC Renaissance, you know, USB 3.0. Yep. Back in the day, everybody used that same chip because they're the only one who had one. And as media came out and others, and then finally integrated into chipsets, so it looks like we're seeing that same pattern. What what we may see, and this is pure speculation on my part because I haven't heard anything about next gen stuff, um, is that we might see an integrated Intel solution in the next gen boards, like the Z100 or whatever they're calling the next gen. Uh, consumer and the X100 or whatever they're going to call the workstation board, if they come out with the workstation line at all. Um, but I would not be surprised if Intel was working on a baked-in solution to at least to the chipset. And if that is the case, you will see a significant speed increase 
on those uh, on those USB 3.1 solutions because they will not be a, they will not be as much a slave to the shared PCIe bandwidth as the current uh, solutions are coming out. So very nice. It's going to be neat to see. Uh, you know, I don't know how many of our articles have ever spanned 18 months, but I know <laughs> of one that has. The Tech Report has finally wrapped up their SSD endurance test. As a spoiler, they all died, but we all knew that would happen. Alan, do you want to go over this? Did you read over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've how they do it all? In. I've been following this for a while now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, Jeff over at TechReport has just been beating the crap out of SSDs for a year and a half. And, uh, I mean, that workload is basically a continuous write. Um, he stops every so often to just do a read back and make sure that, you know, the data is actually still good that's getting put on the SSD. But he is just doing everything, you know, full speed writing to SSDs. So when you see people... First of all, when you see people argue and like, oh, I, I'm so worried about the longevity of these things, like some of these SSDs, it, it went, for, it, you know, like oh, we're talking over a year, continuously writing at full speed. Like where are you going to get data at the rate of 400 plus megabytes per second, depending on the drive? Like where, where are you going to get that for, you know, a year plus in order to you know, wear out and burn out an SSD in, you know, shorter than the warranty. And even you just if you keep, do, re, you keep reinstalling Skyrim and all of its mods <laughs> daily, <laughs> daily. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, but you would have to. I probably you'd probably get a call from your ISP before, uh, you know, before your SSD burned out in that case. So, uh, finally, the last drive has burned out. The last drive to die was the Samsung 840 Pro. Uh, kind of not surprising, because that's a, a pretty good drive. Um, and it had written uh, almost two, two and a half petabytes. 2.4 petabytes, yeah. yeah that, that is ridiculous, right? That is just... Insane. That's so far out of their spec and warranty, it's yeah. not even funny. And yeah. And if and if the 840 did that, I can't imagine what the 850 Pro with the 3D NAND could do. It probably would do even more. Well, I mean, Samsung's number on that is, uh, I believe it was, their their simple number was just 2x the endurance, right? <laughs> um, so there you go, like that same capacity. Let's see, they only tested, so th this is important too. It was only a, 250, a 256 gig. 840 Pro. It's not like a one terabyte 840 Pro that would have only cycled the flash cells one quarter as much as this one, right? Yeah, he'd still be many, many years away from finishing. Yeah, if it was like the one terabyte model of that guy, he'd be writing for another, you know, if it lasted the same, he'd be writing for another three times the amount of time just to cycle those same flash, those flash cells as, as much, right? Because when you double your capacity, you effectively double how much writing you can do to the SSD, to a given SSD. So, uh, yeah, it's a good thing he kind of used smallish ones. I'll say that because he, he might have, you know. If well, there was this is a year and a half ago. I mean, yeah. how many really big SSDs were available back then? That's true, too. Um, I know they made the 840 Pro in uh, 512, 
I, I don't remember it, if they made it in the one terabyte. One terabyte, but it was still like in the six to eight hundred dollar. I mean, it was still. Yeah, it was. It was up there. Really expensive. Yeah. Yeah, but um. The Pro back a year ago was expensive. I mean, the Pro the Pro prices have sunk through the floor even compared to what they were a year ago. That's true, actually. Josh has got a good pick this week that's got to do with that, so we'll get to that shortly. But yeah, I mean, kudos to Jeff. He uh, kicked butt on that test. I, I don't know if I would have 18 months of continuous benchmark in me. In me. Um, you don't ever stay in one place for 18 months at a time. Yeah, that's there would have been like a move in there, like an yeah. two, you know, and, and my graph would have just had like a just, just this dip for like, you know, like a week. Sorry, I was moving. You know, couldn't write to the SSDs. Now, like now a, Alan, oh, well, sorry. Uh, uh, what do you think um, uh, the M.2 drives, the P- PCIe X2 and X4 drives would change that uh, right where at all? I mean, since they can write faster and can oh, yeah. write more, would they wear out faster, do you think? Or Yeah, if, if you had that same flash that was on those drives in that test, like that same generation of flash, uh, sure. You'd burn them out just proportionally faster if you're able to write, you know, twice as fast. You would burn out that SSD twice as fast. Um, simple as that. Good for, uh... um, yeah, but the but the newer stuff that's coming out now is all going to be shifting. At least in Samsung's case, it's going to be shifting to 3D NAND, much more longevity, that kind of thing. But but really, now you're getting to the point where you're writing at over a gigabyte per second. Where are you getting that? Right? Like, where is it coming from? Where is this data coming from at more than one gig per second continuously for... You, you, you work know. at the NSA. No, no Doom 5. Uh, no, I don't. Four. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's that's where you would be writing that kind of data. Oh, oh, if. Okay, if you did. Yeah. Um, I don't think those guys are just using, like, one PCIe. No. Like, one <laughs> SSD. Yeah, I think they're spreading it out over a lot of drives. Yeah. So that's you know that's, that's you gotta you gotta put your hat off to uh, tech report and doing this. 18 months on a single type of test is a lot to ask anybody. Plus his power bill because all six drives <laughs> on that machine. <laughs> it was three writing. machines. Uh, oh, I think that's it was true. Three yeah. machines, right? Um, that's just nuts. Had, yeah, you had two drives in each box, three identical boxes, um, and uh, I mean, if anything, it 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 should silence. Those people that like, you know, there there were some drives. There were namely a lot of like Sandforce control drives back in the day that kind of gave SSDs a bad rap because they were failing. But they weren't failing because the flash was failing, right? They were just premature failures, like controller firmware issues, stuff like that. That's happened, and you know, SSDs were kind of still in their infancy, relatively, right? They'd only been out kind of strong for like a year or two by the time Sandforce came along and. Just everybody wanted the Sandforce chip because it was like the cheapest one to buy and implement. And it was a little bit buggy, right? Some of the firmware for it was a little bit buggy and it caused some people some issues. And I think uh, people just immediately associated that with, oh, SSDs, flash memory, it, it wears out. That must be it. But it wasn't, right? Um, yeah. So cool, cool stuff. You got to go and read that. Uh, go from the start to the finish. Watch, <laughs> watch which drives dropped out first and why and how they reacted. Uh, it's kind of interesting with the Intel drive how it uh, it went into a read-only state when it hit a certain benchmark internally with the uh, the firmware. As long as you didn't power off your machine, you could read whatever you wanted off of that. But once you powered off the machine, 
Instabrick. So it's, it's uh, fascinating yeah. stuff. Fascinating, fascinating. Uh, apparently, HSA version 1.0 arrived this week. I believe it was released on the 16th, which would have been a Monday. Uh, we had had many discussions about this before we had initially thought that Kaveri was the first HSA 1.0 part. But in fact, it was not. It was, uh, I can't remember the HSA 1.0 speculative or or they have some word for that. And of course, my vocabulary is so horrific anymore because I'm stuffing other things into my brain. Um, I couldn't tell you. But anyway, it was not HSA 1.0 compliant. But now we actually have what it takes to be a 1.0 compliant part. Kaveri supposedly will match the specification, not Kaveri, but uh, Carrizo, not Chorizo, but Carrizo. You guys went into that ad nauseum last time, but we can skip it. But uh, <laughs> now the, the specification is finally out. It is being supported by MediaTek, Qualcomm, ARM, Imagination Technologies, others, uh, of course, AMD. And so we're hoping to see some decent traction, even though it doesn't have NVIDIA and Intel in the group. We have to think that in between ARM and Qualcomm, who ship out billions of SOCs a year, that we would see developers start to leverage the designs that will come out and will be HSA 1.0 compliant based on the ARM architecture. Uh, they didn't give us too many hints about what it is. It's it's kind of boring material to go over. All that you really need to know is the CPU and GPU are closer together. They can read the same memory. They can they can write to the same data, and that saves a lot of time and a lot of effort because how currently you do any kind of GP GPU is you write the data to main memory. That main memory is written into the GPU memory, and then the GPU then acts on it, and it writes its results to the GPU memory, which then gets copied over to the main memory, and then the CPU can read those results. And this takes two of those jumps out. So there's a large flat address space. Uh, they've got fast GPU con uh, context switching, all kinds of other little things to make it a more efficient exercise to leverage the GPU compute power with a CPU in a modern operating system. So HSA 1.0 out this week, and hopefully we will see parts supporting that in the very new, near future. So who's who's been messing around with Windows 10? Earlier builds. I haven't messed around with the latest build. Well, I, am not, I am not on the build that Scott reported on. I'm on the one before, the 9926. Well, I guess we should have gotten Scott up here because he upgraded to this damn thing right away, and, of course, it crashed his machine and lost all of his memory, and his girlfriend left him, and he lost his job, and Canada deported him. <laughs> it's all very, very, very traumatic for Scott, and you'll have to read uh, what he wrote about the latest 141 build released to the insiders. So that's supposedly what supposedly still no Spartan with that though. Spartan no, no, is not yet. No. And you know that's a big thing Microsoft's touting because IE is dead 
it's only being kept in for corporate, like the place I work for that has everything IE and VB6 still. It's kind of crazy, but I won't get into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Spartan. I think it's going to be in the next release because the things just didn't line up at this time. And, of course, that will be fascinating to see. That seems to be my buying line. It's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be fascinating to see. I need to look at a thesaurus someday and get more words. Well, they need to, they need to get Spartan in there soon because it, they, officially re, they officially announced the summer release in over 190 countries or something. So summer release, whether that means June or whether that means September, because they could theoretically call summer September if they wanted to. Um, but if they don't hurry up and put it in there, then it's not going to be before the official build that you'll see Spartan. Gotcha. Well, that's all the articles and news postings we've had for this week so far. Uh, oh, but hey, more. Josh. No. One more, one more thing about Windows 10. One more thing. Oh. Okay, so the only other thing about Windows 10 is they just released this today as well, that any version of Windows 7 or Windows 8 or Windows 8.1 that you have, whether it's um, whether it's legit, pirated, whatever, you will be able to upgrade for free to Windows 10 from that version. Uh, supposedly, they're doing that to get... They want the Chinese market because China supposedly is somewhere between 75 and 90% pirated. So they're basically saying, we don't care what kind of, what kind of Windows you have, we want you as a legit customer. So... So I guess this is just, it's opening up the possibilities for the Windows Store. You'd rather get oh, yep. 10 or 25 cents or a couple of bucks from somebody in China than nothing from them whatsoever. So it's probably a good move by, uh, by Microsoft. But that's it. That's it for the week. Hardware software picks of the week. Apparently Ryan chose expensive dinners at GTC that he doesn't have to pay for. Notice he 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 brought his little houseboy Ken, and Ken is sharing in these things, but nobody else. Nope, mm. he left us behind. Yes, again. That's that's par for the course, especially for Maury. He even has to pay his own way into QuakeCon. Ryan is so I don't, mean. I don't have to. No, I still get. I still, <laughs> no. Okay. Yes. I I well, I like the QDQ pass so I can get the cool seats in. He wants the full experience. He wants to wait in the lines. He wants to bend the motherboard processor socket pins. No, 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 no. This year, I will not be bending anything. This year, I'm, I'm going to crack that core. No, he wants it all. No, hey, no. that's a song. More crack core and he don't care. <laughs> no. no. This year, I'm doing an X99. I'm not going to even... You know, the processor's not going to... Uh, those processors are way too expensive. To, and well, we're not going to let you water cool a Titan X. I am not planning on even buying a Titan X. It's I don't have that kind of. If I had that kind of money, I'd have a lot cooler computer crap. So Jeremy, what did you want for your pick? Oh, I like this. You you may have seen the uh, new way of liquid 3D printing uh, that they just released earlier Using this week. Using UV light and oxygen. Yep. So the problem is usually that this type of printing has existed for a while, but it takes for friggin' ever because as soon as the uh, resin is exposed to oxygen, or sorry, as soon as the resin is poured into the reservoir, it starts to harden. So you've got to heat it, you've got to screw with it and try and get it to go, and generally the resolution was pretty bad. In this case, they're feeding oxygen into that bath, 
to stop it from solidifying. And now they're literally pulling out um, ridiculously complex stuff uh, with gaps and everything in a matter of five or ten minutes as opposed to three hours to a day and a half. So this looks pretty neat, and if we can get our hands on it for a reasonable price, expect a lot more 3D printed stuff kicking around. Very nice. So you're not going to sell, like, whistles? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think just printed yeah. an Eiffel Tower upside down in, what was it? Well, like, it's, 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 it's time sped, but yeah. it was like five minutes. Yeah. That's still yeah. really impressive for a 3D model. Yeah. Because those things take hours. Yep. Not anymore. Sweet. Kind of cool. Uh, my pick, you know, we're talking about SSDs. Apparently, Newegg's got a special right now on the uh, Samsung 850 Pro 512 gig for $269.99. That's really inexpensive for an 850 Pro 512 gig part. Get it while it lasts. Uh, minimum, well, yeah, I think it's a, what, a max of two per customer. But uh, if you want speed, you want the new 3D NAND experience, 850 Pro 512 is certainly one of the nice things to get at this time. Alan. All right. So uh, last week I was talking about an RGB K70, which is cool, right? But uh, Cherry Switches, and this is a kind of an annoyance to me at least, but all Cherry Switches, regardless of the type that you get, uh, when they bottom, they they have a click sound. It's not like it's like a plastic on plastic, like just a bottoming kind of a tap sound. In some cases, it's even louder than like the the like MX switches that are supposed to do the clicking. Like so, you end up getting two clicks, um, just depending on how you type, right? So they uh, are there are ways that you can dampen the bottoming out. And if I turn this thing on here. Uh, this is one way to do it. Uh, there's a company called WASD. Where are they? Yeah, WASD keyboards. These guys make uh, these O-ring kits. And I actually have one of them right there. So there you go. In the package of them. Uh, it's more than enough. Uh, I believe they put, yeah, they put 125 in the package. So even if you have a keyboard that has like you know a couple of rows of macro keys and, and whatnot, you're still covered. Um, they make them in red and blue. I've noticed that you kind of really need the blue ones because uh, the red ones are thinner and your keys might bottom anyway. So the blue ones are just a little bit thicker around. And the idea is you you put, uh, let's see here, I will pull a key off of a keyboard, maybe. There we go. So you take them and you put them right there. Yeah. Camera will focus. 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 No. There you go. Yeah. So you take them there and the O-ring bottoms against the, the cherry switch assembly itself instead of the key bottoming against the bottom of the keyboard, like making a harder sound. So it's just one way to silence uh, your cherry keyboard in case it's you know making a little more noise than you want to. That's nice. I think your wife is actually downloading something uh, or uploading something because your your audio is horrific, Alan. An o -ring. He might have uh, swallowed <laughs> an O-ring. Anyway, 
Uh, Maury, what is your pick? My pick is um, I, I actually came across this on Twitter from um, from one of the people I follow. The uh, what is it? The Verge put up this nice little cord cutter centric website that basically you can pick your service and it actually will tell you and you can pick a combination of services it'll tell you what channels you get and how much it will be per month um, it's, and you know it's it's very nice because I mean right now if you're at all paying attention to cord cutting or have thought about doing it you know there's a lot of services that are debuting right now that um, that make cord cutting a very viable solution over cable or even direct TV. You know, the PlayStation View service, Sling TV is is decent. Um, Hulu, you know, I mean, you have to get a combination of them because you won't get everything from one service, unfortunately. Uh, we're not there. But the a la carte revolution, as they call it, is becoming a reality. Um, and, you know, you can, you know, you can do it pretty pretty reasonably um, you, you, and and actually what you also can do is you usually you can combine a lot of the or most of the services on a single device like a Roku or you know a, um, Amazon Fire Stick something like that uh, which is which is nice um, how, on earth did they, how on earth did PlayStation View get so much more support uh, well, Sony Sony has Sony's been doing the same thing that Apple's been doing because Sony owns the PlayStation, right? So um, Sony supposedly has been in talks, in negotiations with several networks for years, just like Apple has been. Apple's Apple's um, uh, hasn't released the specs on their network yet, but Sony's been in, in talks with several of these networks for years, so they've been uh, they were able to secure a lot of a lot of decent. Um, Decent and negotiated a lot of decent deals with these networks. I mean, it is, the Sony View though is a little bit more expensive than a, than a standard service. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's like fifty. Well, that's for the, yeah. For the basic is fifty, and then you can add a sports package for sixty, or the enhanced sports package with super extra channels for seventy or something. Yeah, um, that's basically a cable bill. <laughs> it 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 is yes, um, yeah. and I mean, but it's 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 a nice alternative. I mean, it, what this will do is this will force the cable companies to look at stuff harder and maybe we'll actually get decent rates in the US sometime soon. Um, now some now the thing is with some of these services are you know regional. Like the, the PlayStation View is only going to be offered in New York, Philadelphia, and what was it? I don't remember what the third city was, but it's only three cities uh, initially. Um, so but you know, it's it's it, it's this this site just it's a really nice uh, it's a really nice collection of of tools uh, and, uh, that gives you a nice presentation of, of what's out there now. Um, so, very nice, very nice. Well, you know what? That's uh, that's all we've got. Instead of letting Alan talk again, except maybe for his closing, uh, I think we're going to save some ears. So you can uh, see these at uh, pcper.com slash podcast. You can follow us again on Twitter, slash Ryan Trout, slash pcper, slash Josh D. Walrath. If you have trouble spelling that, well, I don't know what to tell you. This thing called Google. Let me look it up for you. So with that, I'm Josh Walrath. And I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. You can do it, Alan. <laughs> He's he's not even talking. He can't even talk anymore. Hard. And I'm Mari Titleman. Poor Alan. You all have a good night. See ya. Good night, guys.